Hi, I'm Martin. I'm a student minister at our church. I regularly go to the 6.30 service, and I'll be bringing us the Bible talk today. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how you teach, rebuke, correct, and train us in righteousness. Father, we pray that you'd help us to understand this word clearly, uh, to see what it means, to see how it applies to our lives. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. I've got a friend who once said he was beyond forgiveness. There was something he had done, something terrible. I won't go into details, but he knew it was deeply wrong, something he regretted immediately after. People condemned him for it. Now, this friend is a Christian. As a Christian, he recognizes that if we trust in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. The promise of forgiveness is for all our sins, not just the small ones, but the big ones too. Yet in that moment of despair, he believed he had gone too far, that even Jesus' offer of forgiveness didn't extend to him. I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever done something you've deeply regretted and then wondered whether God really would forgive you for that? Have you questioned whether you're okay with God because of something you've done? I have, and I know many of us have as well. So what should we do when we think we've gone too far? Today's passage helps us to answer that question. 1 John teaches us who God is, our relationship to our sin, and why John wrote this, wrote this for us. You might remember we started a new series on 1 John a couple of weeks ago. We read the introduction to the book, the first four verses. We saw that John was writing based on what he and the other disciples had seen firsthand. They had seen Jesus himself. They had looked at Jesus. They had touched him. They had heard his teaching. So what exactly did Jesus teach John and the other disciples? Well, I'm sure Jesus taught them a lot of things. But one key message is about who God is. Jesus taught them that God is light. God is light. Look with me at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now this message that God is light it might be a bit tricky at first glance. He's not saying that God is a physical light like the sun. He's not saying that God, instead of being heavy, is light. Rather, light is used throughout the Bible to symbolize all sorts of things. Sometimes the symbolism of light is used to describe salvation. Sometimes it's God's revelation and moral goodness and truth and God's glory. So what is it here? Well, I think it's about moral goodness. It's about God's character. Now, to help us to understand this metaphor, I've brought an actual light. I've got this torch over here. It's, it's pretty bright. And I've got a ping pong ball as well. It's not a light. But when I put it in the light, it shines pretty bright as well. So right now we've got two things that are quite bright. Yet the torch, isn't bright in the same way that the ball is bright. The torch is the source 
of the lie. In the same way, God is light. He's morally good. But when I say he's morally good, I don't simply mean that he's just a good person. No, he's the source of goodness. He's the very foundation of moral goodness. Let's look at the ball. This ball is in the light. It's bright. It's reflecting the light of the torch. In the same way, we as people can be in the light. We as people can be morally good. We can reflect the moral goodness of God. We are the source of goodness, but we can be good according to God's standard of goodness. God is light. God is the foundation of moral goodness. And after telling us that God is light, John explains some misconceptions misconceptions that his readers might have about their lives. He uses five if statements. Let's look at the first two together, since they're about light. Now, you might remember that we talked about fellowship a couple of weeks ago. Part of fellowship meant being united in purpose. So, if we're in fellowship with God, then we're united in purpose with the light. And that means, if we say we're in fellowship with God then we should be living in the light. We should be living a life according to God's goodness, doing what he shows us to be right. We shouldn't be living a life in sin, otherwise we'd be lying. Our words say that we're with God, but our actions say that we're against him. However, if we live a life according to God's goodness, we actually are in fellowship with him and with each other. That's not to say that we will live a morally perfect life. No, when we trust in God and live our lives accordingly, it's Jesus who makes us right with God. Jesus purifies us from sin. Read with me verses 6 and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Well, we've talked a bit about light. Let's now talk a bit about sin. Sometimes we misunderstand our sin. Some people might think that they don't have sin, that they're not guilty of sin. Perhaps an atheist might not think they've really done anything wrong. Perhaps it's a Christian who thinks that they've been saved by God and therefore doesn't sin anymore. Now, here at Chatswood, there are many of us who recognize that we're sinful and broken. But on the other hand, for, for some of us, things are going really well. Work is going well. The family's good. Church is good. Life is good. And we might think that we are good, almost to the point of saying that we don't have a problem with sin. Could that be you? You probably wouldn't say that you're perfect, but could you be thinking that you don't have a problem with sin? If that's the case, we're actually deceiving ourselves. We forget the truth. And that truth is that we've all sinned and we continue to sin. See, we've all turned away from God and decided to run our lives our own way. We've all done what is wrong, whether it's lying or lashing out in anger or lusting over someone or being selfish or something else. We've all sinned. And that's something we continue to do. 
people who say that they don't sin, they don't realize that God knows that we've all sinned, and He tells us that. So by, so by saying that they haven't sinned, they're also saying that God is a liar. That God is a liar when He says that we've all sinned. But we're not stuck with our sin. There's good news. There's good news because God is faithful to His promises. God promised that He would forgive sin and save His people. There's good news because God is just. He doesn't simply forget about sin, but He sent Jesus to take the penalty of our sin. God is faithful to His promises, and He is just. And that means if we recognize our sins, if we confess our sins, God forgives us through Jesus. If we confess our sins, God forgives us because of Jesus. Look with me at verses 8 to 10. Verses 8 to 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I've got a Catholic friend who would agree to all that. He'd say he's sinful and that God has forgiven him through Jesus. And I think he'd say that we also need to confess our sins to a Catholic priest to be saved. After all, verse 9 talks about how we need to confess our sins, right? I think what he and the Catholic Church have got wrong is that they've added in the role of the Catholic priest. A priest is an intermediary between us and God, someone who stands in for us and appeals to God. Our passage doesn't talk about a Catholic priest, and that's because we already have Jesus. Jesus himself is the one who stands in for us and appeals to God. Jesus himself is our advocate. I think of it like he's standing before God saying, God, look here at Martin. I know how he has sinned, but he trusts in me. I died for him. I sacrificed my life to take away his sins. So when we confess, we don't need to confess to a Catholic priest because we have Jesus himself advocating for us. He died for our sins. And he didn't just die for us, but for the whole world. That doesn't mean that the whole world is saved, but it means that the whole world has the opportunity to be saved. Anyone who trusts in Jesus is saved. Let's look together at 1 John chapter 2, the second half of verse 1 and also verse 2. And I know I've skipped the first part of verse 1, but we'll come back to it soon. 1 John chapter 2, from the second half of verse 1. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When you think about it, that's actually a really encouraging message. It's comforting knowing that I have Jesus on my side. I know that Jesus has died for me and advocates for me. I know that even though I've done so many stupid things, God forgives me. I've been going to church for a while now, and sometimes I forget how amazing this message is. But when I stop to think about it, it's actually a really encouraging message. 
that God forgives me and those who trust in him through Jesus. So is that why John wrote this letter, to encourage his readers? Yeah, I think so, at least partially. But it's not the only reason. John wrote these things so that we wouldn't sin. He has reminded us that God is light. God is the very foundation of moral goodness. And we should walk in light. That means turning away from sin. And John has reminded us that Jesus died to save us from our sin. He purifies us from all sin. And so we should turn away from further sin. With these reminders, John is writing these things so that we wouldn't sin. Look with me at the first half of 1 John 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. I'd like to point out to you a couple of interesting things about this verse. The first is on how he says it. He's not a strict teacher talking to a student saying, don't do the wrong thing, otherwise I'll put you in detention. No, he's like a loving parent speaking tenderly to his children. Look at the start of the verse. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And you, have, you may have also noticed that this verse, it's sandwiched between the good news of forgiveness. In chapter 1, we learn about how we've We've been forgiven through Jesus. Then chapter 2, verse 1, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And immediately after, John tells us again about forgiveness through Jesus. John has surrounded his call for us not to sin with the message of forgiveness. That's so that when we do sin, we'll know that things are okay, that we are forgiven because of Jesus. Do you see what John's done in today's passage? He's shown us who God is. God is light. God is the foundation of moral goodness. So we should walk in the light. He has explained that we have sinned, but that we have forgiveness through Jesus. And he's writing this so that we wouldn't sin. Now, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, I've got three points for us. We should confess we should strive hard not to sin, and we should be assured of forgiveness. Point one, we should confess. Some of us here may have never trusted in God before. And if that's you, then I invite you today to confess your sins to God and start trusting in Him. You've heard about how we've all sinned, and that includes you too. You have sinned against God. But we've heard that if we confess our sins, God will forgive us through Jesus. It's great news. So at the end of this sermon, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. We'll confess our sins to God. We'll ask him for forgiveness, knowing that he has promised that he will forgive us through Jesus. And we'll ask him to help us to live for him, to help us to walk in the light and to turn away from sin. If you've never trusted in God and you've realized that you need to start trusting in Him, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me at the end of the sermon. And if you're someone who already trusts in God, should you confess as well? Yes. We've seen that we still sin and we should still confess. We can confess in private. When I pray to God by myself, 
Sometimes I tell him how I've sinned against him. I confess my sins to God. We confess our sins privately, and we can do it as a group as well. Here at Chatswood Presbyterian, we run our Sunday services with the same structure each week. You may have noticed that at the start of each service, we have a prayer where we praise God and we confess our sin to Him. We confess our sins to God because we recognize that we've sinned and need forgiveness. We confess our sins to God because we know that He does forgive our sins through Jesus. So if you already trust in God, I still invite you to join with me in the same prayer at the end of the sermon. It's a prayer where we'll confess our sins to God, we'll ask Him for forgiveness, and we'll ask Him to help us to live for Him. The second point is to turn away from sin. John told us that he wrote these things so that we would not sin. And that needs to be, underst- that needs to be understood in light of forgiveness. There will be many times when we'll fail, many times in the future when we'll sin, which is why we need to remember that we have forgiveness through Jesus. John wrote these things so that we would not sin. It's a high bar. It's something we should strive for because God is light, because we should walk in the light. It's something we should strive for because Jesus died to save us from our sin. God sets a high bar for us. Understanding that high bar helps us to understand how we should respond to sermons at our church as well. Let me explain. When I come to church, often I write down notes in my notebook while I'm listening to this sermon. Previously, we were going through the book of James, and whoever's preaching from the front will often end with a few clear application points. Some of those can be hard to do. James 1, when you're suffering, consider a joy and thank God. James 3, be careful with our untamable tongues. James 5, always speak the truth. That's hard. It's easy to slip in a little lie. Now, our church teaches us these application points because they're from, they're from God's Word. And we don't teach it in a legalistic way. We know the message of forgiveness. So when I write in my notebook and I hear a hard command, I'll try to do it. Not because I have to follow every rule to be saved, but because I'm walking in the light, because Jesus has saved me from my sin. One of Jeff's points from James 5 was to not grumble. That's hard. I probably grumbled the next day. And that's okay. If I confess my sins to God, I know I am forgiven by Him. And I can continue striving to turn away from sin. I try again not to grumble. I take Jeff's application point seriously because I take God's Word seriously. Because I'm walking in the light. Because Jesus died to purify me from all unrighteousness. I try very hard to turn away from sin. The third point is to be assured of forgiveness. John has told us in this passage that Jesus purifies us from all sin. Not just the little ones, not just the sins that we're okay to discuss with others, but even the big ones, the deep, shameful sins that you wouldn't tell anyone. 
Jesus purifies us from all sin. This message of forgiveness is good news for everyone, for me, for you, for the murderer, for the adulterer, for the person who struggles with alcohol or porn addiction. Jesus told us in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So no matter how much you've sinned and how great your sin is, if you confess your sins to God, he will forgive you. If you confess your sins to God, he will forgive you. It's quite a reassuring promise. What happened to my friend who I talked about at the start? Well, life for him is still pretty hard. But I think he does know that Jesus forgives him of all sins, even that terrible sin that he committed. He knows that forgiveness is for all sins, not just the little ones, but the big ones too. And if you are weighed down by your sin, I hope you know that too. There's no sin too big for Jesus if we trust in him. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess our sin to you. We have sinned against you. We have turned away from you so many times. Please forgive us. Please forgive us, not because of our works, but because Jesus died for us. Thank you that you've shown us that you will forgive us if we trust in you. So please help us to live for you. Please help us to walk in the light and to turn away from sin. In Jesus' name, amen.